So we are here in a new episode of history and politics, and we have a, a great guest. We have Brian Kaplan with us. He is the, a professor of economics at George Mason University and also the author of uh, The Case Against Education. Um, and so we are going to talk about a, a very particular issue because since I am Peruvian, I have been reading his book from maybe another perspective that other of the reviews and and I have been interested in in asking Brian so how you think your your criticism of of education could be approached more to overseas than 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 in America that where is a very particular kind of problems in the in education that are different than, than in other countries right so My general view is that most countries on Earth are trying to be the United States in their education policy. You know, even Germany is moving in an American direction. So, I mean, a lot of what I try to do in this book, besides tell Americans about the problems with our education system, is is to let people in other countries know that the U.S. system is not a good model, and we are wasting an enormous amount of time and money on a system that really doesn't yield much social benefits. Yes, so that that is, is something true. I, I I think probably the only country that that seems committed to to a more native approach to to education is Switzerland, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so Switzerland uh, overall looks like the best out of the countries that I'm familiar with, anyway. Yeah, they they have they have a lot of of publications of education, the Chronicle Higher Education, Times Higher Education have been running a lot of pieces about Switzerland lately, and it's very interesting because like uh, the one article uh, I think this year was published, and it mentioned that one of the CEOs of one of the largest banks. In in Switzerland, never never went to to college. He was uh, an apprentice. He did yeah. an apprenticeship when he was a, um, a high school student and started working in a bank as a cashier. And he he got up as as a CEO and was a CEO, um, I think, until some years ago. So yeah, I mean it's and and recent statistics signal also that that there is much more. Uh, social mobility and and, and and the kind of system like the, the apprenticeship system and it's really interesting I think that kind of model. Mm -hmm. Yeah so I haven't checked the numbers but when I was in Switzerland people there told me that only about 10% of adults would have finished college and yet walking around Switzerland you would never think of the population as unskilled. They seem like they're great at what they do but They learn by doing. They don't go to a classroom, and uh, for years before they can actually start getting real on the job training, they just leapfrog over the time that Americans uh, waste, and that you know seems like so many other countries want to waste as much time as Americans do, if only they can. Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting. I think we we could move to to other issues that I was going to ask you about the, the, the issue of development and, and education. And it's an issue that's very complex, but I feel that there is, uh, particularly since I'm from Peru, I have seen that there is a lot of, of move, like, as, as you said, that a lot of countries want to be like the U.S. So there is a lot of move to to higher education, to, to universities particularly. And it seems a very... Um, You know, it seems 
for a lot of time in Peru, there was basically one university in the colonial times, and then they have since the independence, there have been open others, which in in, in general were public. In in just the last century, there started to to be private universities. Who at the start were mainly Catholic, uh, and and now there are secular private universities, but. The issue is that a lot of the people that the star uh, university in Peru don't graduate, and it's it's really goes in some careers. It's it's in some departments in particular. Is is the statistics is are very surprising. I mean, in the large university in Peru of the mathematics majors, the ones that that graduate in a requirement time are four percent. Um, and and it's like in a lot of 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 departments it's like that. So um, it's it's really a, a complex situation because a lot of people are going to universities are not even graduating, and the market for the people that the when, as you said, you know they could go for four years, but if they didn't graduate, what it's going to be their backing in the labor market, so it's it's kind of a problem that that is, I think, uh, getting worse. And and the the problem also is that in Peru, in order to graduate, you need to do a thesis. So I know that other countries is different, but I guess that also contributes to people not finishing. Um, yeah, sure. So I mean, in the United States, you don't normally need to do a thesis for undergraduate, but for a PhD, you do, and that weeds out a lot of people. Uh, of course, uh, when you have these uh, extra standards, uh, what I point out is that it does help control this problem of credential inflation, which is that you, know, you need more and more degrees to get the same job that your parents or grandparents could have gotten with less. But yeah, you know, it's uh, it's ultimately a, a dysfunctional system. Yeah, I, I actually uh, I think that probably the the funny thing is in Peru, basically there is no. Uh, technical education. I mean, it's it's very curious. Uh, I mean, Peru has a lot of tourism, um, but there are not even that many tourist guides, and it's 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 a really huge problem. That that uh, uh, the only one that that and and that issue probably there is only one person in politics that has made any statement about about technical education, and this is how the sad is the the the. The kind of 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 the situation. I think it's it's very it's in a in a way it's it's how uh, academia is used in 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 different ways by by both sides of, of real. Like, I guess like in the U.S. in some way. In, in Peru, the case is basically uh, left wing parties are pro university education because they try to recruit members in their campus. And uh, more right-wing parties are in favor of, of, of private education because some of their donors are are found in some of the private universities. So, uh, I mean, both sides basically agree in keep opening more and more universities, but the labor market is kind of saturating. There are many lawyers in Peru that don't have jobs, and it's it's uh, it's very strange uh, the labor market. In Latin America, it's happening things that are near and 
in the case of, of Chile is very curious because in Chile there are many people that obey in criminology and they, there's basically not much jobs in criminology so there are a lot of criminologists without a job and and things like that are happening in, in all over Latin America and and I guess that that could connect with the other issue I was going to to talk to you which is the the issue of international students I, I have seen that 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 uh, that the number of international students in the U.S. has started to decline. But at the same time, I, I feel that, for example, what I know of other countries that offer international education, like the case of France, it's, it's very chaotic, their, their system. So, I mean, students still want to, to study overseas, but a lot of the times they still have many, many hurdles. Sometimes because the the they have trouble with uh, having a visa or sometimes even i think france is relatively much easier to to get in the visa but the problem is the universities themselves that are not necessarily were not prepared so, so, for so, so, international students what's your question so about how how do you feel that that now is the the international education in particular in the us where the universities are, are trying to discourage uh, international students to, to apply and, and, and how do you think the system is working? I mean, so I think the universities are very eager to have international students apply. I'd say it's the, the Trump administration, which has just raised the requirements for getting a student visa quite a lot. I mean, you know, in addition to formal requirements, just you know, informal harassment and you know, like the student goes home, then they wonder whether they're going to be able to get back into the country, even though all of their paperwork is in order. So I mean, this is a problem. You know, the university themselves love international students because normally they pay full price, so it's a great deal for the schools. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the terms of you know like why this is happening, then yeah, so you know, I think it's uh, you know it's federal immigration policy. I think it has really nothing to do with the schools, which uh, would love to have more students. Yeah, I, I I think we could connect this with with the other story. I think I once mentioned to you in in social media, but there was a case of of Guillen Dumas, which is a Canadian student. He he was he decided that that he wanted to go to the university, but he didn't wanted to pay, so he crashed in the classes in 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 Yale, in Brown, in UC Berkeley, and if I'm not wrong, also in Stanford. And he said that, I think he said that he didn't have any trouble with exception right. of one class where the professor was a socialist for exchange that, that it could sound. In, in Berkeley, actually, a socialist professor make, make a comment that was kind of weird about him being here. But it, it was very, very curious. But a lot of people, when complaining about uh, access of, of education and say that the education is is uh, is uh, expensive and, and and this kind of things don't don't think that a lot of the of the price of education is in the diploma yeah, yeah. so this is uh, one of the arguments that I talk a lot about in my book which is even though people complain a lot about the high cost of education it's actually already free. You don't have to you don't have to apply to schools or pay any money to go there. Just show up and start attending classes. You know, I mean, I've I've you know been a, you know, a student at Princeton. No one ever checks their ID there. 
So if you just want to learn, it's totally free to show up and start learning. Uh, the one thing that you won't have at the end of your free education is a diploma, grades, you know, any official record over there, right? which I say you know, shows that really what people are after is the certification. You know, the education isn't, isn't, isn't really isn't the main thing you want. People are mostly concerned with getting that diploma. Right? And that's why people will pay full price to go to a school that's not very good rather than go to the best school in the world for free. Because the best school in the, in the, the best school uh, in the world won't acknowledge that they were there, so all they'll have is what they learned. Which, uh, you know, actually, if you try going and getting a job with four years of unofficial Princeton education, you know, good luck with that. So it's just not not likely to work. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really interesting. I think that well, he he was not American, but he's Canadian, so I guess for he was much easier to 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 get in and get out of the US. But um yeah, I mean it's 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 really I think that the the, the, the education system is is changing and and it's uh it's evolving. I, I think you know um here in Peru even some some universities are even teaching some courses in English which is kind of surprising. In Chile I know that, that there is that movement too. Um, and in Israel, it has been for a while. I think the new professor that don't know Hebrew will teach uh, courses in in English. And in Europe, it's basically the norm. Uh, I think yeah, outside uh, of France. Yeah, outside France. France is, 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 is. Although I was in Paris, and actually a lot of people there spoke very well, very good English. Even a lot right, of them. Just, just not just more, not normally French university classrooms. That's oh yeah. So, yeah, of course, plenty of people in France speak uh, fine English, although I still say that it's low for you considering where it is in the world. Yeah, it's... Right? it's... So, you know, you'll see, you know, you'll hear, you hear like German, during the Germans to the French, uh, I mean, I don't know, I mean, like, well, in my, my sense, at least twice the share of uh, Germans uh, speak uh, very good English uh, compared to France. Yeah, and the Scandinavians speak much better. They, well, yeah. they basically yeah, is the, like, yeah, a circle language. I think that there is also a, an interesting move because I think you you once said that the only language that that the only foreign language that that, that is economically profitable to learn is English. Right. I mean that's probably too far. So I bet you know. So you know, like if you want to go and work in Japan or China, then I bet you can get a good payoff for learning uh, if you learn those languages, although they're really hard. Yeah. That's. But yeah, but yeah, like, but for yeah, for just a random person on Earth, then yeah, I'd say English is by far the best foreign language to learn because you know there's so many more people speak it, and again, it's of course both you know, native speakers and other people learn it. So in Scandinavia, for example, uh, people there told me that they, you know, like when Danes talk to Swedes, they speak English to each other because as close as Danish and Swedish are, they're not quite close enough to easily understand each other. And so you know they just both both do English and that's e and that's easiest for them. You know, so very normal there. That also happened in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you sound, sound like sound like you know quite a bit about Switzerland. Have you spent time there? No, uh, but I, I have been reading about Switzerland lately. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, the only right. countries. So, so, so what else is on your mind? Yeah, I I mean the the only countries that that uh, I have been in Europe are are. France and, and Germany, and I was surprised that in, in, in France, 
a lot of people that even spoke Spanish. It was kind of surprised. I know that in the South they, they speak Spanish because there is a lot of Spanish immigrants, but in Paris I was kind of surprised. But I think it, it's because one economic was economist was saying that, that in France in, at one time it was mandatory to to learn uh, Latin and and two foreign languages. So it's much more... I think it's probably much more complex than, than in other parts of the world graduating to of high school there. All right, so so um, I, mean, I, I think we're running out of time a little bit. Yeah, do you have any other big questions you want to ask me? Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about the the issue with um, with the the new economies. Like I know that there are uh, land breaches has been mentioned that. Uh, about the efforts in, in in international education and and and, um, and particularly in India that it, it's a very curious case I think in which uh, he he was saying that that some uh, sometimes there it, the system is is very chaotic there and 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 it's a very a very complex system that in in some ways relies a lot in in the talent of, of, of individuals more than in in the in the strengths of, of the system because beyond uh, a number of kind of highly selective uh, universities or the India Institute of Technology uh, the other parts of, of, of their more trained uh, people are people that study overseas and they come back so it, it's really interesting because I, I feel that that something that the, the, the Trump administration could be doing and inadvertently is empower actually India and China because a lot of, of their graduates, particularly in the hard science department, are going to come back and and use those knowledge, particularly in artificial intelligence and, and other issues that are more uh, technology related. Mm -hmm. uh, so is there a question? Yeah. So, how how you see this? I mean, it's because you are also working on on, on the economics of immigration. How how you see this in particularly? Why? I mean, this is the, an element that in theory will be easy to sell to to conservatives because these people who have PhDs, they are not, you know, uh, lazy people. Although I I doubt that many of the Central Americans are lazy people. Uh, they work very hard, but the the, the the system and it's a very dangerous country to live. So uh, I don't think they're uh, they're. But so that's my question. So why do you think that that it's difficult to sell the, this this case of 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 this even high skilled immigrants as as PhD students? It, in theory, it, it shouldn't be that hard or. Right. So, you know, so I think that you know, like I think Americans actually have you know, very little issue with having foreign PhD students in the United States. I mean, if they think about it at all. But um, you know, as long as you know they, they or their countries are paying for it, I don't think many Americans care. Um, of course, Americans also do support. Uh, you know, at least a lot, you know, a lot of Americans support you know, you know Trump's stricter immigration policies, which um, you know without without really supporting you know, these specific details where where they might uh, not not support it. But, you know, what Americans would be skeptical about is letting PhDs remain in the United States and keep working, right? And then as, as to why they're so worried about that, you know, you know, there's you know there's a lot of efforts to you know somehow make sense of it. But I think ultimately the straightforward answer that Americans are xenophobic is right. 
And, you know, like the very idea of a foreigner being in the United States, his father's American. So, like, even if you say, look, they're, you know, they're producing a lot of value, they're paying taxes, what's the problem? Uh, I mean, there's this basic xenophobia is, which, again, is, of course, not limited to Americans. People around the world have it. But it matters more in the United States because a lot of people would like to live here who aren't able to. Um, so, I mean, you know, like, if you, if you were, I think if you were to go and mention that, Someone might come to the U.S. and then learn artificial intelligence, and then, you know, if they go back home, go and use it for the Chinese military to the you know, U.S. detriment. Whereas, whereas I, w- I would say, well, it's a reason to let them stay, but I think a lot of other Americans say, oh, my God, I didn't realize how bad it is to let them study here, you know, keep them in China so they are, you know, they're not going to be able to acquire our, our special knowledge. Um, yeah, but you know, I guess I don't you know, no, no, you know, too much more to say about it, but uh, so I'll leave it there. Yeah. I was under wonder uh, beyond Switzerland. What what other country you think it's doing okay in higher education? Hmm. So let's see other countries that are doing okay. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so if you're asking me about uh, about uh, K through twelve education, then I would say Germany. But for higher education, I think that's a lot harder. So. Yeah, so we get in like Switzerland, I think, is good just because it's a very developed country where not that many people go to college. It's not that I particularly think the Swiss the Swiss colleges are, are particularly good. I mean, it's just that most people don't go there. You know, so few people go there that it's not such a big drain on the country. I mean, if I had to pick any other... Hmm. What about uh, Finland? Yeah. That A lot of people talk about Finland. What what about them? Right. So well, a lot of people talk about uh, Finland's K-12 system, which is a different story. So again, then what's what's impressive about Finland's K-12 system is kids don't even start until they're seven years old, and yet they get either the highest or close to the highest international test scores. And again, it seems like they get it without doing a lot of teaching the tests. So, so that's pretty that's impressive. Again, as to what's going on with Finnish universities, that I don't know very much about it. Um, I mean, in general, European you know, my, my sense of European universities is that. You know, like, you know, they're even more backwards-looking than the United States for the most part. You know, even more focused on just you know, like, like you know, reading, reading great, you know, the, the allegedly great books and talking about how insightful and brilliant they are. But again, you know, like that, I don't know if that holds true for Switzerland. Maybe that, maybe it's different there. Yeah, I, I don't know about the particularities, but um, I know that, for example, uh, the other education system uh, that that is talking about is uh, Sweden because they have uh, embraced uh, school choice in a very radical way, if I'm not wrong. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for K-12, again, you know, for the public education system, uh, if I remember correctly, so it's all free, which, uh, you know, again, for the public colleges, which, again, is, I think, a, a terrible idea, right? I mean, I think that there's already way too many people going, even when it's uh, fairly moderately expensive. So we make it free, then there'll be more going. Yeah, in terms, in terms of school choice, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's an improvement. Uh, as far as I know, it hasn't done, done that much for test scores. Uh, it's probably raised student and parent satisfaction with the schools, uh, you know, which, you know, you know, I'd say just having kids have a better day like, like is worthwhile. I mean, there is this interesting question, why is it the school choice doesn't seem to do more for test scores? And I think the best answer is just that parents don't care that much about test scores. So, I mean, parents are looking more for prestige and, uh, for the schools they send their kids to, and you know, most parents are, especially the ones that are deciding which kid, you know, where, where their, what school their kid goes to, are quite innumerate. 
They're not very interested in actually carefully measuring and reading, writing, and math skills. So you know, I say you know, the market is delivering the stuff that, that uh, the customers, mostly the parents, are actually looking for. Uh, you know, again, like you know, so prestige, and of course, uh, whether their kid is uh, you know is is happy going to school. Right, at least the latter thing is, is nothing to uh, you know, nothing to dismiss. You know, it's, it's a big part of your life. Yeah, I, I guess. So, actually, so I think we need to wrap this up. So, do you have uh, one last uh, big question for me, Camilla? Yeah, I, I was wondering what what do you think about the the case of the international baccalaureate schools, like international schools? I know that in 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 China they are they are trying to 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 curtail the number of of of, of Chinese parents that could put the, their kids on, on these international schools and it seemed like uh, they were made originally for foreigners communities in one country but now sometimes the, the elites in, in in particularly in develop in countries in development are putting their kids in that kind of schools do you have any thoughts on this yeah well so First of all, so I mean, like I, I haven't seen the numbers. I would guess that these schools are unusually good at teaching English, which is one of the most useful skills to have in the global economy. So that's a shame. Uh, I mean, probably the you know, the actual reason why a government like China would do this is they're worried about their uh, kids not being properly brainwashed by the communist government. As to you know, you know, my general view here is that people just usually overestimate how much brainwashing actually occurs. You know, partly because you know, students aren't paying attention and the teachers are boring and don't really believe the, the propaganda that much anyway. And so, you know, like, like in the United States, I think that while it's true that teachers in the United States are very left-wing, the actual measured effect of time in school on your ideology is quite slight, <coughs> which I think is a sign that you know, the propaganda just, it just isn't very good. It just doesn't actually, you know, doesn't, it's very effective. You know, you know, like combination of it's just boring and students aren't paying attention and the teachers just don't have a lot of charisma. So, you know, like, I think, you know, like the effort to curtail in these international schools or other countries, probably motivated by the desire of the governments to maintain control over the minds of their students. Although, like the actual amount of difference the schools are making, that's, you know, I'm skeptical anyway. All right, so... I think it's yeah, probably time to move on, but uh, you know, good talking to you. Yeah, it was good talking yep, to you. Yep. Okay. I hope right, people and, uh, check right. your book and and, 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 and of course, you know, the book is The Case Against Education, uh, and you can get it from Amazon. Yeah, it's a great book. I really enjoy reading. So okay. thanks, Brian. All right, thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.